This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. For the purpose of introducing the ways in which this show is going to be different, I... And for the first time ever in the five years of doing Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, I am going to be interviewed by one of my colleagues and my friends who's taking the hot seat as the host. But before I do that, I want to formally give you some context and some background. So who is interviewing me today as the guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald? Well, what I can tell you about Brad Bruce is that he is the founder and CEO of Warrior Mind Media and a professional speaker. With over 15 years of leadership, team development, and revenue growth experience, he brings a unique blend of achievements to the organizations he works with and helps build. When he is not working on business, you can find Brad working closely with his community and the work he does with Dan's legacy a local nonprofit that focuses on at-risk and troubled youth with major life barriers. You can find out more about them at www.danslegacy.com. Further to that, Brad started this journey into self-development and coaching over 18 years ago. When Brad found himself in an executive leadership position at the age of 20 years old, climbing the corporate ladder quickly. Now he wasn't just responsible for himself anymore, but was equally responsible for a team of over 80 plus employees. Brad knew that he had to develop himself in many areas in order to continue his path to success, but had no idea how until the day he met his first of many mentors. This would springboard himself into launching a career of self-development and improvement, training and education. Since then, Brad has mentored and coached hundreds of people and spent thousands of hours on receiving the top training and coaching, which he will gladly pass on to you, the listeners. Part of his journey has been his story from the darkness of mental health and addiction into the shining light of recovery. Brad found himself in a deep pit of despair with no one or nowhere to turn to due to depression, anxiety, and eventually drug addiction. Brad was faced with two truths. Go to the bitter end or come out fighting for his life. Brad chose the latter. Brad has helped countless men and women navigate through their tough journey from darkness to light. 
advanced training in union shadow work, mindfulness, based cognitive behavior therapy, and other behavior therapy models. Also combined with many years of education and development of mindfulness, meditation practice, and has studied multiple forms of Buddhism, Hinduism, and yoga, and uses these principles to achieve great success and lasting change. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald as the host. How are you, my friend? Oh, wow. What an introduction. Can you just like like narrate my life always? <laughs> well, kudos to you. That's a testament to your commitment and your longevity. And so, you know, oftentimes when I'm interviewing people, that's often the response. It's like, is that me you're talking about? Did I actually do all those things? Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is a real thing. <laughs> it absolutely is. Absolutely. It doesn't, doesn't have to be, mind you, because that's a choice, right? Exactly, and I can't wait to dig into some of that that work with you here here today. And, and uh, I, I just want to say, you know, firstly, is thank you. I'm very very grateful for this opportunity to interview and uh, getting to know you um, over this course of this last little while has been just a true gift. And I also want to acknowledge the work that you do in your community and for the listeners. It, it's huge, and the takeaways that I get from your show are just tremendous. So thank you for being that that uh, voice of change, that voice of hope, and uh, and and really uh, inspiring us. I I'm very grateful. Well, thank you, Brad. I'm very touched by your kind and very generous words. So that works both ways. And uh, it's all about the mirroring effect, which is why there's no coincidence to you being on the show, regardless of the changing hats here. Uh, pass the baton over to you. So I'm in your capable hands. And uh, uh -oh. maybe, you, maybe you want to, sorry, I'm a little bit micromanaging here. I can't help it. I'm mm. it's my show. <laughs> Yes, but, but but maybe, and not to say that or suggest that you weren't going to do this anyway, but maybe you want to give some context to the listening audience and eventually the podcast subscribers for why we're doing it this way and why you today. Yeah, that, that's a, that's great. Um, you know, one of the things that we talked about is your the show. The premise is living fearlessly, and getting out of our comfort zones. And there's two reasons that I really want to do this is, is A, is to, you know, for the audience to, to really get to know you, that you do live a fearless life and that you do step out of your comfort zone, but more importantly, so, so everyone can get to know you. And uh, that's the part that's really getting me excited about this is uh, <laughs> knowing a little bit about your story, like you have of like just such a powerful story and a really powerful message. And that's, you know, really what we want to get out here today and uh, to show people that they can live fearlessly in their own lives. And uh, why me? Well, uh, that is a great question. Uh, I would like to say <laughs> It's my, my wicked, charming looks, but uh, <laughs> I was recently told I have a face for radio, so this is really fitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you need new friends, man. But uh, seriously, but it, it's, and I appreciate that there is an element and a huge aspect of truth to what you just said. But what also underscores that at a deeper level is because I'm all about uh, facilitating in whatever way I can through whatever modality of, of uh, media, my platforms, etc. It's also giving other people an opportunity to live fearlessly. And even though you have extensive uh, background with coaching people, interviewing people, your own media platforms and doing quite uh, extremely well in that space, Brad, it's also, you know, giving other people the opportunity to live fearlessly with me by doing something that's not necessarily part of their daily grind. So thank you for stepping mm. up to the challenge. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Let's live fearlessly together and let's, let's, let's dig in. Are you, are let's you ready? Dig for in. Okay. Let's go. 
Awesome. So uh, I want to take us like back. I want to get to know a little Lisa a little bit. And uh, for the viewers, I know a little bit about your story and about, uh, you know, the younger years, but um, I, I really want to kind of dive in. So why don't you take us back to what little Lisa was like growing up? Well, I guess it depends on who you're asking, but if you're asking me... <laughs> you, directly. <laughs> right, because everybody who has a relationship with us, regardless of the, the capacity or the stature of the relationship, everybody's going to see you quite differently. Um, but in terms of how I remember seeing myself, and um, and I don't dwell on this space, but yes, backstory is very important when we're talking mm -hmm. about connecting the dots. So... Uh, as I shared with you in private conversations, Brad, when we first began knowing each other, um, I'm an open book. So I've, you know, I don't define myself by this. I don't feel shame. I don't stigmatize myself. But not unlike, unfortunately, many people uh, in today's world, uh, I was an incest survivor. And that started for me at the very young age of four. And now that I have two children of my own and having seen what four-year-old looks like, in an adult capacity, it really puts a different perspective on things. And I have both a boy and a girl, so I've tried to see wow. that through the lens of both of them because, of course, we know that this particular type of abuse and all abuses, uh, it's not gender-specific, and it, it afflicts everybody from all walks of life, no matter how intact the family unit might appear to be, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of your zip code, regardless of what your parents do for a living. You know, the list goes on. Um, so, you know, what, what made the situation of abuse worse than the perpetrator and being at the hands of the perpetrator, which was my, uh, maternal stepfather, my, or sorry, my maternal grand step grandfather. God, I can't at the time? Four. Four. Wow. Uh, four. And, and what I didn't know until years passed is that this was something that had happened uh, to many people within and outside of my family. Uh, yeah. This was something that had happened to his own two young girls uh, of his first marriage when he lived in, I think it was New Zealand. And uh, it happened to people, girls who I befriended every time we went to England because that's where they lived, he and my grandmother. Um, and so I got quite familiarized with two young girls who were sisters who lived up the road. And I found out again years down the road uh, that this had happened to them. It had happened to my aunt. It had happened to my cousin. It had, I mean, the list goes on and, and who knows how many other people. Uh, but he's now deceased. Wow, that, that is such incredibly tough stuff. Well, and the thing is, I kind of digress there, but uh, all, all equally important uh, to lay the foundation of this story. Um, mm. But my mom knew what he was all about, and yet she failed to protect me. And as a mom myself, and being very maternally primal, I have no concept of how that's even fathomable. So I have to, I have to, and my mom's also passed on, so I have to think that there must have been some kind of disconnect there, some kind of maybe mental health issue. I don't really know. Um, it's all subjective. And, um, you know, and if she were here today, she might have her own take on it. Although she did later on profusely apologize and she did take responsibility. But there was a lot of estrangement between the two of us as a result of that. And uh, so anyway, I, you know, I fall into many categories again, which I don't uh, stigmatize myself by. I don't um, define myself by I'm a single mom. I'm, a, I'm you know, I've got two, two kids. Um, 
And so how, let me let me ask you a question there. How do you how do you get into that state of going from you know that severe trauma to not stigmatizing yourself? Because I know a lot of listeners here have gone through very similar stuff, and myself included, of uh, like not going into the, that shame and not being stigmatized. Like, how did you get to that point of not feeling great those things? Great question. Great, great, great question, Brad. Thank you. Um, Yes. I mean, that didn't come overnight. That came with a lot of work. That came with a lot of healing. Healing is an ongoing process. It doesn't matter how actualized you are. It doesn't matter how evolved you are. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how confident you are. And I'm all those things. Um, But it's still an ongoing healing process. Uh, You know, but different things affect me differently now. And, um, you know, People will, I've said this and I've declared this, and I mean this wholeheartedly and sincerely, 100%. If I had to go back and be subjected to having to relive that all over again as four-year-old Lisa, I would do that. And I would do that not because I wish that upon myself, nor do I wish that upon anybody who perhaps is listening to the show or anybody in general through all walks of life. Um, but I very quickly became immersed in the, the realm and the world of personal growth, personal development. Mm. And had that not happened to me, Brad, I don't know that I would be the genuine, natural, empath, compassionate giver, contributor to society that I am. And I know that that's a choice because oftentimes people will deviate and they can't get out underneath that rock of victimology. And all mm. they can do is... is is focus on, you know, what's happened to them. I saw it as a lesson. I saw it as a gift. I saw it as a blessing because that then propelled me into 25 years as a senior manager uh, in crisis management in social services. So I got to work with people who didn't only share my circumstances and being at a different level of my own healing, I was able to empower them as I always have to empower themselves. And, um, always a staunch advocate, always for the underdog, uh, always about people's rights, equal rights, human rights. It's not gender specific, although I do, you know, I am a feminist. Um, but you know, so had that not happened to me, I don't know, maybe I would have gone off and worked in the corporate world. Maybe I would have been, (laughs) you know, maybe I would have been cold. Maybe I would have like not cared about charity work and fundraising Mm -hmm. and humanity and people's energy and people's hearts and people's souls. Um, so I've certainly derived much more benefit and gains from my life experience of working with people as opposed to the, the years where that was a part and parcel of, of my journey and my, the one chapter in my book. Um, but there's been many other chapters that have been birthed and they've all been yummy and they've been beautiful. And, uh, I'm just, you know, I turn shit into gold. I'm the queen of that. I love that statement. I was listening to some of your uh, your videos, and I, I came across when you said that exact quote. I'm like, that needs to be quoted everywhere. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Now, uh, you know, there's there's a lot there, and I love that that you were able to take that um, that really hard experience and, and dive into the work. And I think that is like the life path for somebody that has dealt with some sort of trauma or abuse is, uh, is when you get a little bit older, you know, like say for example, uh, somebody is, you know, uh, a bit younger and they've experienced this type of trauma. Would you, uh, what would be your kind of suggestions for things that they can actually start doing in order to start developing into that work, into that self-work? 
Well, the first suggestion is for anybody who's still living within that sphere of silence and it's unspoken and it's non-disclosed, you've got to get it out there. You've got, you've got to talk to somebody who you can trust, who you can confide in, um, you know, and get that ball rolling because otherwise you internalize these things. And I believe in mind, body, spirit. So if these cancerous truths are eating away and eroding your soul and your spirit, that manifests into physical symptoms, that manifests into relationship dysfunction, that relationship, that, that morphs into all kinds of other aspects where you bleed out. Um, so I really highly encourage people to, you know, take what's happened to you. And that the first step is go talk to somebody go, go share it with somebody, you know, go to the authorities, go to, and I mean, this is going to speak to different aspects of demographic, depending on mm-hmm. age and resources, but whoever it is that's in your realm of infrastructure of support, please do not bear the brunt of not only the abuse itself, but keeping that immersed in, in the secrecy and the silences and the recesses of your own brain, your own mind. You've got to, you've got to get it out. You've got to unleash it. You've got to get it out. And then the right people will navigate you and maneuver you throughout the journey of resources, uh, central to your geographical area, support groups, 1-800 numbers, counselors, grief counselors, healing, sexual assault centers, or, or whatever the abuse may be that's more applicable to your circumstances um but you know there's no coincidence again brad you know for that kind of taboo in particular type of abuse um where it is very silencing it is very shaming it is very isolating you know for once upon a time where i could not speak i felt immobilized by fear now you can't shut me up right like i've got my own radio show host I've I've, i've got my own platforms i used to do tv uh i talk about these things extensively and for anybody who still is working with the misbelief uh misnomer that vulnerability is a weakness i'm here to tell you and to correct you it is in fact a strength we're all vulnerable we're all vulnerable we're all fragile we all come with baggage we all have skeletons we all have things that have unfortunately uh been uh, perpetrated upon us um Mm -hmm. call it abuse or call it different types of things um but at the same time it's a choice with what we do with that we can use it to empower us we can use it to grow us and in turn once we get on that trajectory of self-healing and self-help and self-empowerment then when we recognize that it's a gift and we can use it to empower other people then this is what it's all about right yeah same and i love that and as you know you know with uh Brene brown's work uh yes. on shame on toxic shame uh, her work is the antidote to shame is empathy and how you get empathy is by sharing your story yeah. and people are literally sitting in silence right now suffering um tremendously and it's through that fear overcoming our living fearlessly of uh going into our our story and sharing that with another human being we create that empathetic connection which then is the antidote to shame i love that and one thing you talked about is uh briefly there was uh, how trauma affects us all 
And mm -hmm. I, I'm curious, you know, as you went from this, you know, little beautiful little four-year-old girl into your adolescence and teenage years, that's typically when trauma starts to manifest itself. Now, what was it like? How did it start affecting you when you were growing up in your teenage years? What was it? Uh, for some people, it's drugs and alcohol. For some people, it's like ambition. For some people, it's all different things. What was it like for you? How did it manifest, start manifesting negatively on your Great question. Another great question. See, you're perfect for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought um, you were digging deep. <laughs> yes. Well, adolescence, as we all know, even if you take out all of those external factors, and even if somebody had a so-called perfect upbringing, up, you know, perfect childhood, and I, you know, question the word perfect. I don't think that exists at all for anyone. Um, but adolescence in itself can be a very difficult, confusing time. And you compound that with my circumstances and a whole plethora of other things that I've not even gone into detail about that were that compounded my situation. My parents having gone through a divorce, eventually my mom, you know, I got kicked out of the house. My brother got kicked out of the house, um, <clears throat> you know, having to be uprooted from the only sense of familiarity and um stability in my life at the time which was the town that I grew up in my school my friends that was my buffer zone that was my infrastructure of support so it all got ripped out from underneath me for reasons I could not understand again I wasn't working with a mom who was intact with me at the time um she wasn't clearly connected with herself and so that everything bled out everybody went into uh fend for themselves mode and so uh, I got kicked out of the house at 16. I got kicked out of the first high school I attended. Then I got kicked out of the second high school that I attended. Um, you know, I ended up taking a bit of a hiatus. I started, you know, being at 16, I had to support myself and be self-sufficient because I, my, my ties with my family were not intact at the time. Um, I had one parent in another country. I had uh, one parent who, you know, was relatively in the honeymoon phase of their second marriage. Uh, so I, I just felt really displaced and I really felt like I was on my own. And um, so, yeah, when you're like at that time, which I was, I was one of, if not the only people that I can recall being a 16 year old who had their own apartment. So my place was wow. party central. I bet. Um, you know, so yeah, there was drugs, there was alcohol, there was all kinds of things that should not have been happening. Um, and, um, but again, I don't regret any of that because if I didn't, if I didn't fall into the abyss of feeling like I was in my darkest and my lowest of lows, there wouldn't have been something within me that would have like, call it inner voice, call it intuition, call it like, I just can't go down any further. It was like, you know what, Lisa, you're better than this because you know, I was, it was a dual reality. I was once upon a time, also a competitive swimmer. And know. so, you know, I, my goal was to represent Canada at the Olympics. I was practicing uh -huh. six days a week, so six days a week, twice a day. Uh, it was a very rigorous regimen. Uh, I swam with Joanne Millar who ended up representing Canada, although wow. I did not. And, um, so, you know, I'd already, I'd already known what it was to be focused, to be self-disciplined, to be in the zone, to level up, to scale, to leverage, to all of those things. And so it was this dichotomy between 
competitive Lisa, who only ever strives to be the best version of herself, who's only ever in competition with herself, particularly for that being a very individualized sport. It's always about shaving time off your own clock. And, mm-hmm. and you know, so I mean, there was a lot and I had mentors, I had coaches, I mean, so I had already embarked upon what that world did look like, what it felt like, what it could always continue to look like. And then I vacillated back and forth between being that awesome Lisa to fuck up Lisa and um and then finally it was like no I you know I can't be making minimum wage you know I I was working at a place where people who I should have still been in school with were coming on their lunch break I worked at this uh it was called the Horn of Plenty here in Dundas it's a health food place people would come and get their lunch they go back to school and I'm still there and I'm paying my own bills and it just sucked it just sucked. So I just thought, Lisa, you got to go back to school. So I did end up going back to school. Wasn't I didn't graduate with what should have been my graduating class. Uh, through a guidance counselor, they got me connected with a co-op placement, which placed me in the social work department at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. That led to my mm. first real job in the field, which then led to me getting a taste and a thirst and a hunger for more. And when I realized I'm, I really need to be in this position of being able to serve other people and so really get me, the focus uh, off me yeah let me um, go back a little bit there yeah, uh, yeah. There, there's a part where you there was a defining moment there for you as a young woman where you went from being what you called fucked up lisa to you know quickly saying that the enough is enough like what was that catalyst that made that that shift happen for you at that time like uh, in the recovery movements, they talk, they talk about rock bottom. Like, what was that for you? What? Because that's a that's a lot going from a place of like being a sixteen year old young lady, drugs, alcohol, uh, kind of living in that dark state, and then all of a sudden you get this uh, you know new sense of, of drive and ambition to it. Like, what was that that made that decision happen for you? Well, you know, I I think it was a succession of things, but it was it was a succession of too many of the wrong things that really put me in. Uh, a low vibrational place on a consistent level. It was like, you know, who likes feeling hungover? Who likes cleaning up everyone else's empties after they've gone back to the comfort of their parents' nice homes and driving their parents' luxury cars and going back to school and really having like a good infrastructure of support. I mean, so, I mean, because of my own poor choices, I was constantly reminding myself, it was in my face every single day for that period of time that I sat in that space where, you know, this, this is not good. This is, this is not good. You're going nowhere fast, Lisa. And there was, I had enough wherewithal within myself to, and particularly having had a taste of what it was to be a good swimmer and to have that regimen of discipline in my life and to have a goal and to have something to strive for. Um, you know, I didn't forget that experience of what that felt like, what that tasted like. And I remembered it always consistently being good. And it was like, you know, I need to somehow get back into that high vibrational space. I need to start respecting myself. I need to start honoring myself. I need to start making better decisions. And I, I just need to get my act together big time. Wow. Amazing. And you talk about this, like when you were, uh, you know, a young lady in the swim, uh, competitive swimming and that drive and ambition that you had, um, it, 
I know you to be one of the most ambitious women I've ever had the, been fortunate enough to meet. And it's uh, quite infectious, actually, just ha uh, have a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I've always wondered this. It's like, can ambition be cultivated or are people just naturally born with it? And you mentioned like how you got the, the drive, but were you always ambitious, like even as a little girl, or is that something that you had to cultivate through self-talk or, or you know, some of the work that you've done, uh, you know, early on in life? Uh, that's a good question. And I don't know if I can fully, completely, honestly, because I mean, you know, memories get jarred, things are a little bit foggy looking back on once upon a time. But um, mm. I think once I got a taste of it, once I knew what it was that I was passionate about, what it was I knew I was good at, what it was I excelled at, uh, you know, I'm one of those people, I'm one of those people where I'm all in or I'm all out. And I can be all in or all out with the good stuff, or I can be all in or all out with the bad stuff. Um, and when I finally realized through dabbling in both realities of what's good for me, which I also love, and I'm, I'm like, you know, jonesing for every day, the good stuff, um, as compared to having been in the abyss, and that being very much my lifestyle choices, poor choices, poor decision making. But again, I don't, I don't, I don't bang myself up. I don't beat myself up for my mistakes because had I not made those mistakes, I don't think I would constantly live in the sphere of gratitude for which I do um, because I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to be glossed over. I know what it's like to be silenced. I know what it's like to be ostracized. I know what it's like to feel like I'm on the outside of everything um, and to have nothing. And so, you know, you can either be addicted to pain or you can be addicted to, some people call it success, some people call it just striving to be your best self every single day. We all define these things quite differently. Um, but obviously at one point, subconsciously, unconsciously, I was addicted to pain. At the same time, I've also, for, for more so than not, I've been addicted to my own growth and development. And that's morphed into success. That's morphed into yumminess. It's morphed into great opportunities, great partnerships, uh, good success, good accolades, um, you know, being in a position to be a contributor to society instead of draining on it. So, you know, yeah. I, yeah, so I, um, I, I've stuck with the good stuff. And uh, this, this is where I'm here to stay. There's I've learned my mistakes. Yeah, amazing, and uh, you know that's something so admirable to do. I I learned the hard way from from my like such hard hard mistakes. But and it's nice when you when you meet somebody that can be that that has that voice and you can share your stories because it's your listeners. Are, it's a tremendous amount of value. And one thing you talk about, and I've heard this in one of your other uh, interview or yeah, one of your other talks, is you talk about connecting your pain to your passions. And this got me so jacked up and excited because it's so, <laughs> it's such a bold statement and it's, I find it to be very true. Not many people know this secret wisdom. And I, I would like to, you to elaborate a little bit on that of like connecting your pain to your passion and what your theory is behind that. Yeah, well, I've kind of refined and rehoned that a little bit and it's not okay. to negate that, that there's still truth to that, but I think, um, I think the most so-called quote-unquote successful people, and again, all successful people have a, a 
pretty brutal backstory. I will, I will go on record as saying, um, truly, I believe that. And that's been the, the majority of the people who I've interviewed who could equally attest to that. Um, but I think desperation is what catapults one into a crystallized understanding very quickly of what their intended purpose is, their inherent purpose. And I think once you tap into what your purpose is, which is birthed out of desperation, which equates to pain, underlying pain, then of course, whatever your purpose is, it evokes passion. I'm very impassioned by every aspect of what I do for my life, but it wasn't passion that got me on the trajectory of figuring out what my purpose was. It was pain. It was desperation. Mm-hmm. I'm so to get into that. We'll get into a little bit more of that, but I want to go first, go back because you, I mean, you're tr- truly in your purpose, you're in your passions, uh, but you went from this being this young teenage girl going into social work and then into this, uh, you know, what you're doing now. And I want to go into dive a little bit deeper into that as well as like your, your, your time spent as a young woman at this point in, in, a, in social work. Can you talk to, uh, talk to us a little bit about that and how that experience was? Well, you know, because I was working specifically in crisis management and because I had worked with pretty much every population of demographic uh, that I think is out there. I mean, I worked with kids in group homes, foster homes. I did foster parent my relief. uh, Sorry, I did foster parent relief in my own home so as to uh, allow the foster parents uh, from burning out. Uh, This is how I eventually paid myself to put myself through college and university. There was no grants. There was no loans. There was no mommy, no daddy. I did it completely on my own. Um, So, you know, when you're taking people for rape kits on a regular basis or you're interfacing with judge in the court systems, um, when you're part of indirectly uh, as a tentacle within social services, you're uh, working on the other end of children having been apprehended from their abusive parents, um, when you're dealing with kids who are on the spectrum of all kinds of diagnoses, whether they be founded, unfounded, overdiagnosed, underdiagnosed. I mean, I'd worked with everything. I'd worked with uh, special needs. I worked with the blind. I worked with the deaf. I worked with sexual offenders, which was also very cathartic and healing for me. Um, And uh, I've worked with people on every spectrum of abuse, whether they be at the preliminary identified stage of survivor to what I prefer to call Sir Thriver. Um, yes, I prefer Sir Thriver. Uh, I, I, you know, I've worked with men, women, boys, girls. Uh, I've worked with uh, little kids. I've worked with adolescents. I've worked with seniors. I've interfaced. Um, I've interfaced with government uh, officials at the federal, the provincial level. I've sat at man- many round roundtable discussions, uh, implemented. Um, bylaws getting passed, uh, policies, procedures being rewritten and legislated, uh, worked very closely with federal government officials. And um, so, you know, that's all empowering because when the focus is not on you, right, when you know that what you're designed and destined to do is fulfilling a role that puts you in the center of being able to empower other people to empower themselves. When you're working with people who have nothing, I'm talking Mm. absolutely nothing where English might not even be their first or second language, where because of the situation they have fleed abuse from, they don't have any documents. They don't have a bank account. They've never been allowed to drive. They don't have, they don't have a pot to piss in. Right. So when Uh. you've worked with these people very intimately and very closely in re-navigating, redesigning, rebuilding, reinventing their own lives, uh, there's always something to be grateful for. So outside of my own once upon a time backstory, 
coupled with what I have seen, what I, I'm, you know, I've seen people die. I've seen people die on, 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 you know, drugs, you know, people who've gone to raves, people who have committed suicide, you know, suicides touched my life, uh, through clients and, uh, friends and family. So, um, so, you know, when you've been immersed in that, it's really hard not to take heed of what are my blessings? What do I have versus what other people don't have? You know, what does it mean when I complain about something versus somebody else's complaint? Like, let's put this into perspective. So, you know, so gratitude underscores every aspect of my life, my being, my doing, um, everything that I undertake, everything I'm impassioned to do, everything that is under the umbrella of my purpose of uplifting people to fear less and to live more. Uh, gratitude is the staple. It's everything. How at, you know, you've literally experienced some of the, the, the toughest parts of life being in that type of work and as well as your own personal story. During that time, like how did you emotionally hold on to all of that space like of hearing your clients tremendously difficult stories uh witnessing suicides and deaths like how does one person hold that that you know bear that cross if you will well that's a good question and we you know in the field we talk a lot about vic- vicarious trauma and that was certainly a big component that was built into working with my staff teams Uh, Because often they were on the crisis line and they were subjected to hearing all kinds of crazy disclosures, unfortunate, tragic disclosures, uh, which, of course, I would decompress with them. We would bring in, uh, you know, official people who had that expertise outside of my own expertise, Um, you know, and... um, It's just, you know, some people are wired for that line of work. Some people are not. Some people, I mean, it's a high turnover burnout rate, uh, which is why I was very clear. I go to an agency. I do what I need to do, whether it be cleaning it up, uh, whether it be um, putting things in place that should have always been put in place. You know, I, I like to see the results implemented. And then for my own health, my own longevity in the field for 25 years uh, longevity, it was like, okay, let's go over to another agency. So I was very clear on what my skills were, what my intentions were, what I wanted to manifest in each role. Um, it was really just to build up solid staff teams. It was really to get people on board with whatever that particular mission statement was. It was really to make sure, uh, you know, that when it came to things like performance appraisals, that everybody was very clear on what team meant, uh, what people's different strengths were, how we could complement each other. Because at the end of the day, they're not there for me. I wasn't there for them. We were jointly there for the clients we were providing service for. And I always came back to that in every management decision I had to make, whether it was writing someone up, whether it was arbitration because that particular agency was unionized, whatever the case may be, it was, does this decision hold true with what is in the best interest for what we say we're doing as a service provider to ensure that we're always meeting the client's needs. And if there was any element of question or gray area on that, that's where the work had to be done. So because I'm always in the zone with what I need to do, uh, and it's because it's it's really being committed to other people's growth, other people's development, getting people out of crisis mode, uh, getting staff on track, getting everybody working off the same page. Um, you know, 
yeah, there was always unfortunate crises that came up. That was the nature of the game. But, um, you know, I was always tapped into, okay, Lisa, go talk to your colleagues, go, go to whatever you need resource wise, that's at your disposal to make sure that you yourself aren't going down the rabbit hole. Uh, you're not getting re-triggered. You're not making unhealthy, unsound decisions because you still have to, you still have to at that level of management and within that type of high crisis, volatile environment, you need to be, you have to, you've got to figure yourself out and you've got to know that you're bringing your best all the time because it, in, in, my, in that particular line of work, it could be the difference between life and death. It really can. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like in that line of work is there, there was a lot of work for you. And as a, that, that's a, uh, you know, amazing path because of that, you know, and it's those moments throughout that really kind of define us and how we step up, which is uh, incredible. So you went from, you know, social work and spending a, a lot of time in that industry to now, you know, being this radio maven and podcast maven. Uh, how, did, how did that transition? Because that's like, a very different transition for you. So what happened to, to make that happen to, to get you into what you're doing now? Well, uh, you're very good with timelining the story. I really appreciate this. You've got the sequential. <laughs> no, you do. You've got the Thank sequence you. down pat uh, so that it all fits for the listening audience. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and being cognizant of time, the, the most succinct way I can answer that question, Brad, is uh, again, no secret, this is out there, uh, public knowledge. I'm an open book. I'm transparent. I'm all about that. So, you know, in 2011, as a result of my marriage having failed, uh, dissolved, whatever you wish to say to define that, to determine it, um, you know, I then very quickly uh, was propelled into single parenthood. My children were then aged three and 18 months old. They're now 11 and nine and a half. Um, so it seems like eons ago, wow. but in some instances it seems like only yesterday. Um, but I, I had to be very cognizant of, okay, once my children become full-time school aged, uh, for what we've endured, for everything that we're grappling with, for my minimal infrastructure of familial support, um, and knowing that at the time we had done a Trans-Canada move. So I have now, back in 2011, I had transplanted myself back into the very town I had exited to go out to Alberta um, mm. and had lived for 10 years. My kids were both born there, so they're Albertans. Uh, came back to Ontario right. because for the circumstances, I knew that's where uh, we would be best suited uh, to, to live going forward. And mm. um, so I needed to really figure out very quickly uh, what am I going to do to garner an income once these kids are full-time school-aged? And so once upon a time, you know, being in senior management and working in residential care primarily, working in crisis management, that worked for me as a careerist and it worked for me uh, before children entered the scene. Um, and although I kept all my networks and contacts alive and, and certainly would have had something to walk back into, uh, it just wasn't conducive to my new set of circumstances. So I took a very hard-nosed look at my transferable skills. And when I thought about how I'd always been immersed in the realm of personal growth, personal development, for the roles and the hats that I, I occupied and wore at the time, I was oftentimes the, the person who would get interviewed, quoted, uh, on media, et cetera, et cetera. And because I interviewed people extensively, whether it be staff, whether it be through my counseling skills, interfacing with clients, um, 
you know, interfacing with politicians, uh, the ministry, et cetera, et cetera. I was no stranger um, to to talking. I was no stranger uh, to putting being the face to whatever the plight, the cause, the mission. And so I, uh, I just got exceptionally clear about what my transferable skills were. And it started out initially with banging out content for four children's books. Uh, then as a result of needing uh, my first ever website, so as to get my books out there to the collective, not wanting to ever play small and just sell to people in my hometown. Um, as a result of my website being out there, that's how I got sought out by Cameron Steele, the network owner of the Contact Talk Radio mm-hmm. Network. He then asked me, we had a great conversation about, you know, have you ever thought about being your own radio show host? To which, of course, at that point in my juncture, I had not, but it seemed like a good fit. And so I thought, okay, that's a business model. If I pay my dues, I hit the pavement, and I go after all the people that I would actually love to be joined with on radio as a way of publicly thanking them for the ways that they had once upon a time and continue to be instrumental in my own healing journey, my own uh, personal growth, personal development journey, um, my business mindset, et cetera, et cetera, then I thought that's great. And so because I got a lot of top tier people and it was one right after the other, I was very fortunate in having amassed a huge following quite quickly. And so I knew that that was going to become a business model. It was going to be monetized. It was going to be pay to play. um, And, uh, and I've continued throughout the course of doing this now for five years because of the people I'm connected with, like the Ariana Huffingtons and the C-Suite, the Jeffrey Hazlitts and the Contact Talk Radio Network and people who I've interviewed who had such a great experience. They've then put me in contact with other fantastic people. It's just morphed into um, really an awesome business model, uh, a really good way to live my life, which still honors what it is that's at the crux of what I want to do, what I believe I'm here to do, which is still the advocacy component, which is still the self-empowerment component, which is still personal growth, personal development, plus business. And now it's uplifting people to fear less and to live more. So rather than just going after whatever the people within the target agency or demographic of client population is, I can get this message out there globally, internationally to the 145 countries that we're heard in every week. That's amazing. And one thing that you shared there, and I know the amount of sheer amount of work that you've put into, you know, your purpose and it's, it's, uh, one thing that I come across a lot, and I'm sure you do as well, is being a mom or a father and an entrepreneur. There's so many people that come to me and say they can't chase their dreams because they are parents. And you've clearly made that you know, a, a very false statement. What would you say to somebody that is, that is a mom or uh, you know, a single mom at that or you know, a, a single father? What would you say to them that they, they, they have this ambition, this dream, but they're holding themselves back because they feel that they don't have the time to do it? Well, my, my answer is always twofold. One, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a very caring, very compassionate person. I understand and I recognize we're all operating at different levels of self-awareness. I understand that we're all in different levels within the healing journey. I understand that we all have different infrastructures of support. I understand that my self-concept for where I am today and how evolved I am and how much work I continually plug in myself is not necessarily the mindset of the person who I'm speaking to who, you know, is like on the verge of a mental breakdown. I get that. But at the same time, when I, because I have never defaulted to giving myself permission 
uh, to give myself excuses to, uh, you know, to, to not step into my greatness, to not do all the things that I know are going to intuitively properly make me a more well-rounded and healthy individual. Call it the mom hat, call it the careerist hat, call it the family member hat, call it the whatever hat. Um, you know, because if, if I don't show up for myself, how am I going to show up for anyone else? So, I mean, because I tapped into that very quickly uh, and because I realized for everything that I had been in before and knowing that duality within myself, like, you know, Lisa, you can easily go down the rabbit hole or you can continually to take one step in front of the other in the right direction that's going to continually put you on the trajectory of where it is you say you want to go. And so that comes without excuse making. That comes without pointing the finger and blaming other people. It comes with massive accountability. It comes with massive conviction and self-belief because I can't ask other people to believe in me or my show or my books or my Mm -hmm. mentoring uh, services or anything else if I don't fundamentally walk the talk myself. And I'm not the embodiment of the breathing example of that. And people... People can pick up on things before you even open your mouth. People can pick up on energy very quickly and people can tell instantly before your mouth even opens, you know, is, you know, what's the vibe here? Is this person giving off the persona of what's real, what's true and the things that would, would hopefully resonate with me? Um, So, you know, I go to the people and oftentimes that's, that's, that's the mindset and that's the energetic sphere of somebody who's seeking me out um, because they're in the throes of whatever they're going through and they don't want to settle for that. They don't want to succumb to that. They don't want to uh, let that also be their defining script for how the rest of their life is going to go. And so when people see what I've managed to eradicate in my life or what I've managed to relinquish at the same time I've simultaneously embraced, I've relinquished the old stuff, the old doctrine, the old false beliefs, the old concepts, uh, the old things that kept me stuck, the old things that kept me playing small. And when people can see that I step into my greatness every single day and I see greatness in everyone, regardless of whether they themselves are at that point where they can see it for themselves, then we're, then we're, then we're getting on, then we're getting things in motion. And the first thing I always start with is self dialogue, you know, self dialogue will change and recalibrate self concept, self concept will recalibrate and reshift self worth, self worth will recalibrate results. You know, so there's there's step by step process and I take a look at where that person is and then we jump in accordingly. Oh, that's amazing. That to me sounds like living fearlessly. And I know that's what what you're all about. And I have a uh, my next question for you is uh, more of a visualization question. Mm. And uh, this this is going to be I think it's going to be quite awesome. And I'm really excited to hear what you say here. Uh, Something that I love is it's called reparenting. And it's some work that I've done. And the question I have for you is both a question and a visualization at the same time. Beautiful. And yeah. So uh, what I want you to do is I want you to picture little Lisa, mm. you know, five-year-old little Lisa, and she's on your lap sitting there right in front of you. And she's looking up at you and she's really needing to hear uh, your words of wisdom over, you know, the course of the years from, from then until now. If you had her, little Lisa, on your lap right now, what would you say to her? Wow, that's powerful. Brad, what a good closer. Um, Wow. 
I'm very impressed with that. Very impressed with you. Um, you know, it would be, uh, it would be a succession of things all equally imperative that I would want to impress upon five-year-old Lisa or any child, my own children, anybody. And I would basically just say, you know what? It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. You just got to believe in yourself and you just got to keep going and you just got to keep going and you just got to keep going. And I would emphasize the importance of regardless of whatever the adversity, whatever the roadblock, whatever the hurdle, just never quit. Never quit doing the right things. Never quit seeking out the right opportunities. Never quit aligning with the right people. You've got greatness in you because it's all about self-love, right? It's all about self-love. So I would be re-emphasizing all the wonderful qualities that little Lisa or anyone else in little Lisa's position embodies because there is greatness within all of us. Being here is just a miracle in itself. And it's not a gift that we should squander. It's not a gift that we should take lightly. And I would only ever want the best for little Lisa or anybody else. And so I would just love, love little Lisa up and love everyone else up until it becomes second nature for themselves. Wow, I felt that. Yeah, that that emotionally hit all of my all of my buttons inside my heart. <laughs> Thank you so much for showing up today, and and I just want to honor you and um, truly acknowledge the work that you do and uh, how much impact that you truly make in this world. Uh, the world needs more Lisas, and uh, I'm incredibly uh, thankful for our friendship, um, and as well as this beautiful honor to interview you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to many, many, many more times. Brad, well, I can't thank you enough. You really brought it today. I am so impressed with you. Uh, and I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And uh, and before we quickly wrap up here and I do the outro here, please give everybody the opportunity to connect with you. How can people reach out to you for an initial consult uh, or get on your platforms <clears throat> or know yeah. where to find you? Absolutely. Uh, very easy. My name is Brad Bruce on all of my social media channels from LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram. So B-R-A-D-B-R-U-C-E. Uh, outside of that, you can find me at warriormindmedia.com is uh, one of my websites. And uh, yeah, come come explore with, uh, with me. Fantastic. Well, Brad, again, I want to thank you for the gift of your time. I want to thank you for bringing those phenomenal questions to me and for for stepping into the Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald hot seat as the host of this week's show. Uh, Really impressed, really impressed, Um, but not surprised, right? (laughs) Not surprised. So to the listening audience, I want to thank you as well for the gift of your time. I'm very clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Until next Friday, when we're joined by yet another phenomenal guest, I wish you a fantastic weekend. Love and gratitude to you all, as well as to you, Brad. Take care, everybody. All my best. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless 
and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.